Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Driven Chat Podcast. You're listening to the voice of John Markar. Hello, this is me and this is my voice. And sat beside me is another voice that you'll know and love, Amy Shaw. Hello, John Markar. I like the, the way that you, you wave to nobody, but listeners do know that he waves to you <laughs> every waving. single time. <laughs> it's, like a, it's like a chamois on... You know if you go to dry a car after you've washed it, you do that kind of <laughs> big sweep... It's like a, it's like waving to a stadium of people very slowly, so you can all see that I'm waving. But of course, the only people that can see me right now is well, it's just you, just me. Even yeah. the rest of the office, our little studio space in our office, nobody here. Nobody's looking. Nobody's bothered to come into the office today. It's just us. <laughs> now we've got quite a nice episode for you today because we have a interview with a bit of a legend, car legend Ed China. Now most people will know Ed China as the an enormously, humongously tall mechanic from Wheeler Dealers. He was the original mechanic that worked alongside Mike Brewer. And obviously a lot of people that listen to us now will know that Mike Brewer is part of our family. He joins us for our Sunday radio sh- radio show slot. Gosh, that was a, almost caught me out <laughs> there. Then, harking back <laughs> to the speech uh, speech therapy episode a few weeks ago. The uh, Yes, Mike joins us for the radio show slot on a Sunday. That is That is actually quite challenging to say. And, uh, and yes, and of course, Mike has now moved on. He's, he's since had Ant Anstead as his mechanic. And now, as we, as we revealed a few weeks ago, he has got Mark Priestley, Mark, in inverted commas, Elvis Priestley, who is going to be the new mechanic starting from, I think, autumn this year when the new series of Willow Dibs goes out. So quite an interesting talking point because a lot of people, as you probably know, Amy, there's been a lot of controversy over the years with Ed and Mike mm-hmm. separating and... Lots of people on Ed's side and on Mike's side. and It's just like when Brad and Angelina, no, not Angelina, Jen. When Brad and Jen broke up in the 90s. I'd say it's, it's bigger. Is it bigger? I'd say it's bigger than that. <laughs> Whose side are you on? Uh, I'm not going to take any sides. Because, <laughs> as you know, I, um, I like to remain as Swiss as possible when it Swiss. comes to uh, all conflict. Um, yeah, no, there's, uh, but conflict is the wrong way to use because there is no conflict. As, no. as you may have heard, you know, we, we ran some trailers over the weekend and on our social feeds. Uh, where Mike uh, is record- he, we we had a conversation with Mike on uh, on the radio show at the weekend in which you know, he spoke very favor- favorably about Ed and said you know he supports everything he's doing I don't believe there is you know, that much of a rift at all but of course everyone likes a bit of drama don't they of course yeah of yeah. course I mean is it Ed also that has a rather famous motorized sofa oh yeah that was the first time i ever saw him i was like who on earth is that giant human on a motorized sofa yeah he's yeah. got all sorts he's got the sofa he's got um 
Oh, well, well, in fact, what we might as well do is let's dive into the interview. So this is an interview with Andy. So Andy, not here with us in this intro part, uh, but Andy led the interview with Ed. So it's just an Andy and Ed chat. And then what we'll do is we'll come back to you after that conversation, because we've got a few little emails. We, we've said it a time and time and time again that we, we want to focus on listener letters. Um, I did an episode with Andy a good few weeks ago where we, we tackled a few, and we're going to tackle a few more today, and today it's going to be Amy and I. So let's dive into the conversation. Here is Andy J talking to Ed China all about his current escapades with YouTube and other various fun things, and a rather interesting challenge which you'll hear about towards the end of the interview that I want to stay so far away from, I cannot tell you, it involves rolling a car down a hill. I'm not down for that. Interesting. Mm. Looking so, forward yeah, to hearing that. Have a listen. We will see you on the other side to talk about what we've been up to in the recent weeks and to answer some of your questions and give some comments to some of the very well thought out, beautifully written emails that we receive and we love receiving them. So if you are listening to Ed China and thinking, hey, maybe I want to get my email read out on, on the air, you can do that. Just drop us an email. It's podcast at drivenchat.com. Anyway, here's Ed and Andy and we'll speak to you in a bit. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. I am delighted to welcome our very special guest for this week. He is a prince among petrol heads. He's also the tallest member of the petrol head community I've ever had the pleasure of meeting and has awesome hair. You all know who it is already, don't you? It's Ed China. How are you doing, Ed? <laughs> I'm great, Andy. How's it going? Yeah, this is great. <laughs> really, really chuffed to be chatting to you, Ed. And it's one of those things that anyone that hasn't met you doesn't quite realise just what a giant of a man you are. I think, I think it's the baggy clothes. Actually, it's funny, when we first started, way, 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 way back when we did these, the very first episode, um, I just wore what I normally wore, which is probably jeans and a t-shirt or whatever it is. And they were going to like, the producers were standing there going, ah, we need to, we, we shouldn't, we shouldn't have skin. You shouldn't have all these, your, your arms, you know, your arms are quite skinny. You should have, you know, like a jumper on. And so he gave me his jumper, which of course was too small. So I had this kind of then this tight jumper. He said, can you wear baggy trousers next time? And so they tried to kind of bulk me out, which is weirdly, you know, in a way how the kind of the t-shirt over the sweatshirt thing started, you know, but it was a classic. And in fact, in the really early days, we actually had, um, you know, they wanted Mike to stand on a pallet, but that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, look, I'm six foot one and I'm quite used to being, you know, there or thereabouts with the people I'm around, but we've spent a bit of time together. And I, I mean, you're, I think, you're six three or four aren't you but you you seem so much taller uh well five nineteen six seven actually six, in, seven. in proper language so Holy so uh, i'm so yeah. i'm up there with the um you know sort of well there's, a, there's actually a, there's a quite a few six foot sevenists out there weirdly but so it's obviously the new the new height <laughs> i like that i like that and yeah. ed you have just had a landmark you you have just turned on the 9th of may you completed your half century at life well, I have. Yes, it's 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 it's, gonna, it's emotional. <laughs> honest, I almost missed it. Well, I'm I'm not very good with birthdays because we're always working, and 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 so it's sort of uh, you know you kind of, I guess it's you know you get to that point where you start you do have a I say midlife crisis as such. But you do kind of your values have changed. What you hold important, I think, it changes over the years. Of course, I've asked my mother a couple of years back, and. You know, that was obviously, you know, sort of quite a sort of a, not necessarily a pleasant milestone, but it's certainly one that you, you know, it's inevitable. And, and, and it doesn't matter how much you think you might have prepared, you know, it always takes you for six, you know. And, and it's one of those things that, I, you know, then suddenly you don't have, you know, I lost my father many years ago. And so, and so kind of like I don't have the parents. So you can't just like, 
you know, there's sometimes you go, oh, I should, I should find, I should find mum and dad. I should, you know, I should have to just tell them about this thing I've just done yeah. or whatever, or that's about to happen because they'd like it or whatever. And of course you have that thought and they go, Oh, okay. Yeah. You know? And so it's a bit strange. And so you kind of, I wouldn't say it's a loneliness as such, but you know, do you know what I mean? You're sort of out yes. there now. You're the adult, you're the grown up. You're the one now who has to be able to make those decisions. And obviously, and we don't have kids, but obviously, you know, for, for, for people our age who do, of course, they're kind of done university and all this kind of stuff. And even then, you know, I guess, you know, younger kids always know everything, know it all. But actually, quite, I'm quite happy with it. <laughs> it is, but you know, but you're absolutely right, Ed. It, it's particularly with, with the parent. And I'm so sorry, I hadn't realised you'd, you'd lost your mum a couple of years back. So my, my apologies for just sort of bowling in here with, no, cool. without referencing it. But, but actually people sort of, younger people, people in their sort of, I don't know, teens, 20s and so on, that routinely ask their folks for advice because that's what you do because your parents have lived or you, yeah. or you rebel against them, whatever else it is. They sort of, I think, I think there's <laughs> one this, or the other. Yeah, one or the other. And I think there's this mindset that once you're kind of maybe mid-20s or 30 or whatever, you'll stop needing to ask advice and there becomes a a different dynamic with your parents but I don't know how about how you were but I never stop asking my folks and I'm in my 40s I'm always going to them for advice even though we don't have aligned careers or anything so presumably you felt that as well yeah, well, it's kind of, it's, I was very lucky. My mum was very much part of our world. So, you know, sort of most of the people we worked with over the years and stuff, she was always around. She was part of the businesses. She was in sort of, um, you know, sort of always just just around. It was just, it was just really very lucky from that point of view. And it's the same with my wife, Imogen. You know, we, we kind of, we've kind of maybe steered our world. So we just spend our time together. That was like, what was the point of getting married otherwise sort of thing. So it's kind of, um, so you, you get to share that on the journey. When we were out in the States filming and stuff, we'd get mum come over at the end where we just go and do all the test drives and stuff. So we go do all these little adventures together. Um, and that was just really, really wonderful. And I think it was part of sort of that, I guess, you know, because she obviously did a, a great job of looking at me when I was a, you know, sort of a pain in the butt back in the day. So it kind of felt like I should return the favor. And it was just very lucky. And I, I know, you know, people always don't have that same sort of relationship with the parents. But, you know, with, with my mum, you know, that was part of it. And in fact, when we wrote the book, actually, um, you know, I actually signed the contract for that on the day she, she died. And she still got to, you know, she got to hear about it, if you like, and she sort of, she smiled and then sort of went off, you know, for her last sleep, if you like. And it was kind of, it was, it was quite a, an emotional moment, obviously, anyway. Yeah. But it was just nice that she got to be, you know, part of our world right to the very end. And I think she kind of enjoyed the madcap craziness that, that is, you know, life in media, because it's not normal. It's not a real job. And I love, I love the idea that Mar China was maybe saying to you, well, you used the wrong wrench then, or something, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was good, but it's, it's one of those things I think it's good to be tested, you know? It's, it's kind of like, I guess that's how we all grow. And I think it's kind of, it's getting very deep, isn't it? But I think it's that kind of, um, you know, that people often ask me, how do I know so much about cars or whatever? And it's obviously, I just go and learn it. You know, you have to, I've probably forgotten, you know, most of it by now, but you know, it's one of the same things. You just, you need to understand that. And of course, I think, you know, that's obviously, I guess, one of the things that was instilled in me by, you know, by my mother, I guess, it over the years is obviously just go and work stuff out. And obviously she also, gave me a bit of a free reign so i got to go and do some of this crazy stuff so you know it's yeah it's it's, it's one of those things but it's, it's as you say being 50 is is uh <laughs> i guess it's, it's time to start giving back perhaps <laughs> what what does that even mean though ed i mean what's the I don't, well i'll tell you what it means it, it means a weekly show on youtube is what it means <laughs> well, yes yes well now this is something I'm, I'm thrilled that this has happened the workshop diaries are are underway there and, and you're pulling up trees in terms of viewing numbers as well ed i mean my goodness you know i would imagine right. lots of people listening to this have already been consuming and subscribing and so on but ed talk me through the sort of timeline because Obviously, you know, you've, you've alluded to Wheeler Dealers, you, you know, you, you called time on that in 2017, having done the show for 13 massive years. And then and then there was this sort of 
unusual swell of activity and you were kind of caught up in this bizarre whirlwind the sort of where's ed and, and all and the, the kind of media sort of bizarreness of it all what what was it what what was going on well it was great well it, i mean it takes it's one of those things i think i think you know there's always a period of adjustment if you like whenever you sort of change jobs or you sort of change sort of something significant in your life i think and i got to do all the stuff you know so i got to make my world bigger if you like i got to go and do all the things that of course working full-time all the time um, you know, didn't have that now. And so, you know, we got to play around with, you know, like the sort of Gibbs and their high-speed amphibians. I did a couple of sort of records with them. And then, then we made an electrified sort of version of one of their old cars um, and then set more records. Uh, you know, that, so that was great fun. And I got somehow, I guess I've been very curious about the whole EV universe. And, and obviously, we did, it took me a long time to persuade Discovery to let me do one on the show. And we did the, the Maserati. Um, and, and then afterwards, obviously, that, that, that clearly that itch wasn't entirely scratched. And so they ended up doing the, you know, the world's first all-electric ice cream van. Yes. Um, and that was a huge <laughs> job. You know, and it's one of those things that, like, do we really need those? We absolutely totally needed those. And, of course, it's one of those things, until you think about it or start trying to solve the problem, that you realize all the various issues. And so I ended up inventing a way of converting all-electric ice cream machines, if you like, inside the vans. To, to, to run on electric so of course then you no longer have to have the horrible stinky diesel fumes which I thought when you think about it we've been living with that since the 60s yes. it was probably about time to sort out so that, that took up a lot of my time but I also had to deal with these other little bits and pieces just the stuff I guess in a way it's sort of chilling but getting very busy at the same time and obviously again I, we were looking after my mum for a bit for about six months or so and then wrote the book and whatever so, so there was just it was a real fantastic kind of whirlwind of other stuff, which has been really wonderful. And I think that obviously all the way through that, there's sort of a, a kind of a common theme is that, the, you know, sort of the fans just wanted me back on TV doing stuff. And we, you know, we've been talking to production companies, talking to channels, all this sort of stuff, and nothing was quite right. It wasn't, it just wasn't the, quite the sort of, I guess, the, the new world that I was looking for, I guess. And mm. in a weird way, we're now sort of, I guess, pioneering, I suppose, on, you know, with, with the YouTube, because, Normally, with a, with a TV show, you know, you, you spend sort of six months making it, or a year, or about all the time, as it was in the end with us, um, and then and then sort of six months after you've made a show, it will then eventually find its way to the airwaves, um, and then depending on you know who you're making it for, of course, it depends on whether all the world can actually watch it or just a bit of it or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And what's really interesting with YouTube is that obviously you can get to everybody you know everybody can look at it and obviously we're, we're now having to one of the fun things i hadn't even thought about of course is language you know obviously before we used to have translations with our shows and of course now you know we've got we've got fans all over the world and so now we're doing you know all the subtitles and we've got all these people really generously kind of getting involved wanting to do the translations to help us so that they can all their friends in their own country can then watch the show so i mean that's an amazing thing and i think it's that contact that you don't ever get with normal tv um, or even dinosaur TV, maybe we should call it. You know, you know, like now it's 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 kind of it's very immediate. And so somebody will comment on something I've done in one episode, and the next week we can kind of you know sort of correct that or answer back or sort of or sign solve a problem or whatever. So that's really exciting. It's quite hard work, but it's really exciting. Yes, yes. No, do you know what Ed? You you frame that so well because you know the, the the sort of thing I was alluding to really is is when you left Wheeler Dealers that it, because you didn't just naturally jump into another TV show because this is what the public see don't they they see yeah. this announcement that you're leaving something that they've been enjoying for a long long time and then there's new episodes being made and so on and so forth and they just assume that you'll immediately be on another show on another channel or the same channel you know just a yeah. different kind of show doing your own thing and so people just immediately assume that you're going to be available somewhere else straight away and what they yeah. don't realise yeah. is that the next stage the next chapter whatever the new project is especially when 
in a job like yours, it involves making, creating, devising, doing. You know, none of, none of this stuff happens overnight. You know, this is stuff that, that requires a lot of time and effort and thought. So where's Ed? Well, actually, Ed's getting busy, getting ready for the next stuff. Not just because you won't have a new show immediately doesn't mean you've gone. Well, that's it. and also it was one of those things that happened quite quickly. So it was kind of, you know, we, it wasn't one of those things that we were able to plan for. You know, it, it was literally an opportunity arose. It's like, right, actually, you know, this is this is the time to, to, to move on. And it's kind of, I think, I think, you know, perhaps, you know, if, if it was a movie, <laughs> we would have we would have written it differently. But you know, I often think we often we thought of our world, our lives as mo- as a movie because you kind of, you know, it's a way of dealing with the hard stuff. Because obviously, you think, well, this is the the hard stuff before the triumph around the corner, sort of thing on the next chapter, or whatever. Mm. And I, I think that's actually quite useful. But it's kind of you're dead right. It's kind of this stuff does take a long time to prepare. And also, I think the the, the problem with sort of, I guess, the traditional sort of broadcasters these days is obviously, you know, everybody gets into a bit of a rut with the way that they do things or the way they make decisions or whatever. And now with, with the streamers as well, they, you know, they're getting stuck into their algorithms and, and sort of how, you know, what, you know, what that means about what they commission is all very different. And I think what we were looking for was just some way of, you know, again, the, the electric vehicle thing is, is interesting, but there's so much more to the world than just that and also there's so much more to the world than just cars obviously so part of what we're trying to do now is actually kind of tick more of those boxes broaden kind of the the, the scope of what we're working on and stuff because i think some of the essence if you like what the fans of the show like before was understanding stuff even if they didn't ever want to go into the workshop and work on something it's just understanding things is really powerful and really interesting and exciting and i think it kind of means i mean certainly we had a very high percentage of women in our in, a, in our audience and i think i felt that was because of the empowerment of just understanding how stuff works you know for anybody really going into a backstreet garage somewhere isn't going to get hoodwinked if they know a little bit about the subject matter um and but also i think we all really want to know how the world works and and, and i just can't stop looking frankly <laughs> so i guess that's what's happened well, this is nice. And, and you know what, Ed? I've, I've always felt this. I hope you don't mind me saying this, but there's there's always been a sort of frenetic energy around you. You're always thinking about these new tinkering. You know, what can I tinker yeah. with? What can I do with my hands Absolutely. now that, that'll make something? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Is that is that fair? No, totally. Well, there was something that happened you know, <clears throat> from a very, very early age. You know, literally, I'd take stuff apart. And then, and then as years went by, I'd start putting it back together again and try to fix stuff. And I think really... I do have a kind of an instinct as to how stuff might work. And then I, I obviously I want to see whether I was right or not. And I suppose then I do tend to take all kinds of things apart that I probably shouldn't do. And then in the case of things like driving sofas, I put stuff together again that might not normally be in the, in the same group of bits. But, you know, but actually that's where the fun is, is that once you understand the technology, then you can kind of abuse it or you can play with it or you can sort of reapply it. And I think, you know, that's, I, th- I guess if it was back in the day and I sort of happened to be sort of the errant son of a, you know, of a, of a stately home or family or whatever it is, then I would have been the one in the shed, you know, sort of exploring the world of chemistry or physics or whatever you know, back in the day. You know, but I think now, um, you know, you, you have experts to do that, <laughs> I guess, you know, sort of also people, professors at universities and things. But it's quite fun just exploring kind of how this stuff can go together. And I think in the end of the day, that the world of TV is something that um, I never really planned to get into at all. You know, it was just out of curiosity again, actually, that I kind of it happened at all. Um, and I think now having got an audience around the world who want to want to watch me explore stuff, then it feels like I need, I need to be churlish not to give them that, frankly. <laughs> yes, yes. No, you're, you're so right. I hope you don't mind, Ed. I'm going to share something with you, which is which will probably okay. make you giggle. So I'm, <laughs> I'm reading a story to my eldest at the moment, and it's this, it's this 
sort of great big novel that goes up. There's millions of books of them. You know, it's a story that's going to last till he's a, you know in his twenties. I'd have thought. Yeah, yeah. But it's 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 kind of based loosely around the Greek myths and legends, and so several of the kind of Greek gods and things make appearances in different ways. And one cool. of those is Hephaestus, the blacksmith god. And there's a okay. there's his son is in this is in this show, and he's portrayed as this guy who is literally always he's spotting bits of metal and random things, and he's just basically going and fix them. And when my when my lad asked me what do you think he looks like, I showed him a picture of you. I was like, I think that's what he looks like. <laughs> Well, thank you. That's an honour. That's what I imagine. You know, this this son of Hephaestus. You know, just constantly creating and, and busy with his hands all the time. I mean, Ed, you've alluded, of course, to the to the sofa, etc. Let's just talk through some of your madcap, bonkers, brilliant creations. Because because it, it started actually the the casual loafer was the very first, wasn't it? It pretty much was. I mean, actually, the, the very, very first crazy thing really was uh, we had a beetle um, that, um, that we uh, there was a thing called Run to the Sun back in the day. So we basically we meet up in London and drive down to Newquay in Cornwall and then sort of have a party for a weekend and whatever. And it was great fun. And and, and it was all it was mostly kind of Volkswagens and just kind of oh, there's lots of other classic cars, hot rods and all that kind of stuff. And so um, we one we one year we're we, we going down for many years and one year we got in the back of a shot of a, of a, of a magazine or something and went, that's the back of my head that's amazing so we thought well, it won't be fun just to make a car just to try and get actually in the front of the shot um, and, and so we ended up with this beetle and they sort of got the friends around got the beers around and they all just got drunk and I ended up sort of cutting the roof off this car welding the doors up and then we ended up covering it in film to make it look a bit like a caveman car and then we'd wore caveman suits and went down there and of course lo and behold we got into like Top Gear magazine and Custom Car and these other kind of things and that's really the very first thing and then I was going to go on a, this rally international expedition to Belize and you had to raise money uh, sort of effectively to pay for your trip if you like or to pay yeah. for your venture um, and, 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 and everybody was doing cake sales and car washing and stuff I thought it would be really cool to do make a car get a load of sponsorship and then and then you know make, make something that was nothing like a car get all the sponsorship and then they'd be all sorted it was a ridiculous plan and obviously I hadn't written anything of it down so i ended up making the sofa i was thinking well what would be the most unlikely car thing you could do and i thought well actually a driving couch of sorts and then so i kind of ended up building that thing and of course just as i was about to go off to belize that's when it hit the news and obviously you know, the sun newspaper and all these others kind of did all these various stories about it and we almost didn't get to go you know because obviously there were so many interviews to do and didn't actually raise any money at all that way until after i got <laughs> back from the expedition but it, but it was a real fun thing and that's really where it started and then we went to some uh, I think I was driving around London once and got sort of nabbed after if I could promote some sort of like a furniture show or something. And then during that week, I was driving around London just having a fantastic time uh, and getting paid for it. And then uh, so what's next? Oh, I don't know, a bathroom or a bed. And then the next day was, how much would that cost? And suddenly, that's really how Comfy Banana was born. Was this company we used to build all these weird advertising vehicles in or through um, and it just really started there and that's really how the TV universe got hold of me because they were looking for someone to kind of customise cars you know for a show called Panic Mechanic um, which was on BBC2 back in the day and you know, we were turning hearses into dune buggies and, and Reliant Robins into drag races and all this kind of stuff. Um, and, and, and I didn't know it because my name came up everywhere they looked. So I, I know, I, I guess I was already going to get the gig, but it was, um, it was, it was really, really great fun. And just, again, just getting paid to play. And I think that's really, um, you know, really what I've tried to do for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you're playing, you never have to grow up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's the secret to life, isn't it? Try not to be... A, the less adult you can be, the more you've won at life, I think. I think... One of the things, I mean, going back to being the being fifty thing, I think that's one of the things, isn't it? It's like as you are, you need to be young at heart, I think, and and I think you, but also you need to be curious. You need to, you know, there's no point you can't 
just you know, sort of I know people have been enjoying lockdown. Let's say that it's been quite a difficult time, isn't it, for everybody for the last you know sort of year or so. Yes, but yeah. I think you you see the difference. So some people have actually taken that time and have, have you know learnt new talents or done stuff that has been bothering them for ages that they should have done or whatever. And others have just you know found it very very difficult and have, have not been able to get out of that box. And I think you know it, it's again it's, it's a certain amount of sort of mental fortitude required to be able to, and I know because I suppose the support of people around you, to be able to sort of deal with those things. But I think ultimately, if you're curious about stuff, you know, you're, you're, you're never going to get bored and that means you're always going to be busy. So that's all good. <laughs> yeah, 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 I love it. And of course, and like you say, you know, all the press attention, etc. you had early doors with, with, you know, with the casual loafer and so on. This was all at a time before social media. I mean, you think how easy the word would have spread if it had been oh, yeah. you know, Twitter, Instagram, and so on. And it's so fascinating. Yeah, how... I mean, actually, the crazy... Go on, Ed. Well, I was going to say, the, the crazy about it was, I mean, back in that day, one thing I learned very quickly was quite how many people had cameras in their car or on their person. So even before a camera was part of a phone, um, it was amazing. And there's... You're going down the M3, whatever it is, you know, mind you, business in your driving sofa and somebody would pull up beside you, rummage around in their glove box or they're on their own in the car just to take a photo, you know, narrowly missing the armco. So there were moments where you go, maybe I shouldn't be doing this, but I think on the whole, uh, and actually there's also an experience that you, that you may never get to have, which is an entire coach all pushing their flash buttons on their cameras all at the same time. It's like oh, a yeah. wall of light as it drives past you. It's quite a thing to behold. <laughs> <laughs> and they're just thinking to themselves, these crazy English. That's, this, yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens out here. <laughs> well, that is quite mad. And let's talk about the workshop diaries, Ed, because, of course, you have embraced the power of YouTube. And, I mean, you've done this before, to be fair. You're no stranger to YouTube, but this is a new series. I think that's the that's the important thing to categorise here, isn't it? The workshop diaries is very much a, a kind of new transition for you. You're like, right now, I'm here. This is the weekly project right now. And this is where you'll yep. find it. So talk, talk me through. Exactly. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, so the, the other stuff we've done on YouTube over the years have almost been experiments, I guess, just sort of, sort of feeling the way, trying to understand one of what works, what doesn't work and whatever. And we've been looking for ages for a model as to how on earth you do this. Because obviously with TV, effectively, it's paid for up front. So you get, you know, effectively somebody somewhere is going to put some money in, you know, whether it's an advertiser or whether it's a channel and off you go you make your product you make your show with youtube it's very difficult to do that obviously because you've got to get your sort of partners and everybody lined up first and then you can go off and make the show otherwise obviously the quality won't be there and i felt really the audience kind of deserved to see me in the same sort of light if you like as, as, as before mm. um and, and so you want to have that kind of quality because obviously youtube isn't entirely renowned for its awesome quality or, or you know, often it is just I mean, let's face it, phones are really, really good quality these days. But even then, sometimes the content isn't so much. And I think that but people are now exploring ways of, of, of getting their message across. And, you know, you've got sort of things like you know, Johnny Smith and you know, some people like that who actually are doing very similar things. They're trying stuff out. They're doing car reviews or doing whatever. And so we thought, well, okay, what? You know, we know that it's about the fixes. We know it's about bits and pieces. But what if we changed kind of some of the difficulties? Because one of the things when we were doing the show before um, with Wheeler Dealers was obviously you had like two weeks to do each car and then of course that meant as, as the years went on it got harder and harder to do different jobs and stuff we'd never done before yeah. um, and so you had to have a bigger bigger team to try and back that up to just do the stuff on the cars that we were never going to cover on camera so uh, we don't have that luxury with YouTube I thought if I turn it on its head if we just kind of chill the pace a little bit we just kind of actually look at the jobs so, so rather than rushing through a massive great big restoration in effectively 20 odd minutes 
why not actually just try and do it almost real time? It's not quite, because obviously that would be very, very tedious, but it's, it's not far off, you know, and so, and so we try to do these jobs in, in extreme detail, and we try and, you know, we've got these great cameramen to try and get these fantastic shots just so you can really see those little flakes of rust on the fuel line or whatever it might be, because it's a really interesting world when you stop long enough to look at it there's all you know sort of through the grime or even the grime itself sometimes is actually kind of interesting so that's part of what the show is about but also it's just all the different kinds of jobs that you might have so it's not just jobs you do in the workshop it could be jobs on the workshop so we might be playing with an airline or you know fitting a winch to a ramp or something you know and and but also it's not just cars it's boats and it's bikes and it's planes and whatever else sort of takes my fancy really so it's kind of a much more much more eclectic universe and in fact like this week we've just been working on um, an outspan orange car chapter to have and I've been meaning to do up for a long long time and so we just kind of just had some fun getting that going and so I mean that'll be tomorrow actually so that's the, the immediacy of it is it's like yourself with the radio it's a little bit terrifying sometimes because obviously you're you know, you're editing and it's two minutes to go in fact last week the upload caught us out somewhat and so we had definitely had to wait an hour <laughs> while, while our 4k uploaded but also just the thing we want to be it on a proper telly yes. in their living room and obviously therefore the quality has to be there as well so it, yeah it's a really interesting project and it's a way i don't you know very little TV's been done this way before, so it's kind of it's pioneering and therefore perhaps stupid, but it's great fun. <laughs> no, I like this, and and I mean I've I've obviously seen everything that's out so far. The production value is is top draw, Ed, and you're not you know the the other thing is you sort of mentioned the, the detail and so on. There's even just like throwaway things that you'd never see in a, in a more fast paced show, such as and you don't even reference it, you just do it. Such as there was a moment which I noticed the other day. There's an oil spill on the floor of the workshop. And you, you're just a cutaway of you chucking some sawdust down on it. You know, yeah. just simple as that. <laughs> but you wouldn't, no, you wouldn't that, put that in another show, that, would you? But you've, that's the well, level no, exactly, of detail you've gone to. Yeah, and it's kind of like, it's something about, I mean, there's I mean, a couple of from the early episodes because the editor got a bit obsessed by the, you know, we had like, you know, sort of oil dripping and sort of coolant pouring out and all this kind of stuff. But there is something lovely about that. I mean, there's a bit where we actually looked at, um, you have this kind of container of oil that I got out of the, the, this engine where I had this leak. And there was water in the oil, and we let it separate for ages. And then you could then, and we put sort of a light behind it, and you could actually see how much water had sort of fallen out of the oil. And it was, it, you know, that was quite a sort of an eye opener in itself. Yeah. But actually, it was a really beautiful thing. And, and and just so we just let the cameraman just kind of enjoy, kind of just kind of looking around, and it was almost like a lantern or like a Chinese lantern in the dark. But it was just so we're trying to capture some of that magic and we're adding all these different layers so that you don't really know perhaps why you like being in the space but it's just a chilled space there's no false jeopardy there's no you know sort of shouty tattoo sort of beardy people all that kind of stuff there's a lot of the kind of the cliche car shows now that have been out for a long time you know, I mean, you know, Wheeler Dealers was the first of its kind, and obviously, then we end up an awful lot of copycats, which is lovely, and you know, really lovely that people cared enough to want to make more of the same sort of thing. So we're now trying to do, they take it to another level, take it to a different place, and that is, it's sort of like it's a more chilled environment. Really, it, it's kind of we're trying to find everybody's zen, I guess, and and you know, and so while we're also not lecturing, I'm not teaching, but we might all learn something as we go. But it's also a really lovely place to be. And so that's really what I just want you people to sit down, grab a cup of coffee or tea or whatever it is, and, and just, just chill, you know, yeah. for sort of half an hour every week. And, and if, if, if they're doing that, that'd be wonderful. You sound absolutely buzzing about this, Ed. You, seem, you sound really thrilled to be, to be right in the thick of it again. Well, it's great. It is, it, it, it's, it's a bit crazy sometimes. It's a bit manic. But, I mean, I think 
that's part of it's almost live I mean that's the crazy thing it really is at the moment it's far too close to being live actually but I think <laughs> it's, it's exciting to be I guess it's getting to be creative. I mean, that was one of the things that was always enjoyable before when we could suddenly go, oh, actually, we could film this or we could get to that or we could do this. And I think, um, you know, I'm very blessed that I, I have a job or, you know, effectively I've created a job almost where I can actually just sort of follow my whims. I can just, you know, follow my curiosity. And I think as long as everybody else enjoys watching that, then we'll keep doing it. Yeah, great. <laughs> Great. Ed, can you um, answer an urban myth for me? Because you mentioned the Outspan <laughs> Orange car, right? Now, this is yeah. a car that I had an absolute, I just loved it uh, because there were two in a garden centre near my parents. So when I was growing up, oh, wow. when I was a little lad, I used to get in these things and look at them. They, you never saw them drive. They were just there, stationary. But I was obsessed with them. I thought okay. they were fascinating. And somebody at the garden centre told me, and therefore I have believed it ever since, that the reason they weren't on the road is that if they were at, if they went on a hill that was too steep an angle, they would just roll down it. And this is what they said to me. And this is what I have lived with forever. And I believed it because I can kind of see that would happen. Uh-huh. I, I think that's slightly cruel of them, but actually now you, you've almost, I almost taken that as a challenge because obviously the thing is <laughs> they are quite stable. I think there was, there was a hill in Cork um, which is particularly steep. It kind of looks down all over the rest of the city. And we once went up in the sofa, um, and I have to say, it was a little terrifying coming back <laughs> down again. It was it was quite scary. And we had a similar situation, actually, in San Francisco again. And, 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 and that wheelbase on the sofa is probably shorter even than the orange. So I would think probably you'd have to be going some to find a hill steep enough. But maybe we should have a go. So people should obviously call in, tell you which is the steepest hill in the world, and then we'll go and have a go. Now, that's <laughs> <not>? a challenge. <laughs> that is a challenge. Hey, listen, if you're up for that, Ed, that would be amazing. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. Oh, there's one in the UK, I think there's two steep hills, or it's only windy roads in Yorkshire and I think on the other side perhaps of the hills. But well, yeah, we'll look into this and we'll make this thing a thing and we'll, we'll get you in and we'll, we'll see what happens. That would be amazing. <laughs> well, obviously people know how to get hold of you, Ed, but if they want to get hold of us via the show, hello at drivenchat.com. Simple as that. Let's, nice. let's challenge Ed in the outspan <laughs> orange car. Let's find that crazy hill. But mind you, Ed, I mean, listen, I'm obviously going to come in with you when we do this. Yes. If it does roll, <laughs> we're in trouble. I mean, well, we have, you know. uh, I presumably crash helmet. Yeah. There's only one seatbelt. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll be wearing that. <laughs> <laughs> it'll, it'll be like, have you ever been in a hot air balloon before? I have. Uh, a wonderful experience yeah, again, actually. Amazing. amazing. Yeah. But, but when they land, that I mean, it'll be like that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just sort of thump. And everyone will yeah, well, I mean, The thing is, but once you start, though, I think the tricky part would be that you wouldn't ever be able to stop until you get to the bottom. I think that's the thing, isn't it? Because it's, it's, it's sort of, that's, a, that's an interesting. Well, I think this is going to have to happen now. I mean, see, my curiosity has been piqued and we now need to resolve it. This is amazing. <laughs> this is amazing. But we, we will need someone at the bottom of that hill, so, you know, so that there's no cars coming. Do you know what I mean? If we're no, really, or, or, or with a big mattress or maybe a bouncy castle just to catch us. Yeah, that's an idea. <laughs> I have a very small one because I have so many children. I do have my own bouncy castle, so I could bring that along. And have it set up at the bottom of the hill. This is this is taking shape. Right? It's a genius plan. I think what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> Everything, and that's why we yeah. have to find out. <laughs> right, Ed, I'm awesome. I'm down. We're going to make this happen, my friend. It's uh, nice. <laughs> the Outspan Orange Challenge is on. Yes, amazing, Ed. What a pleasure. It's been so lovely catching up. I'm I'm really excited by the new series. You know, the workshop diaries. They're out now. You can catch them every week. A new episode, as you say 
virtually live. And yes. yeah, brilliant. It's, it's good to have you back, man. It's 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 really well, thank you, sir. amazing. Well, it's brilliant. And good luck with the new series. It's great with yourself. It's fantastic. Oh, we'll, we'll keep on rocking, mate. We'll keep on rocking. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. Well, hello. Here we are on the other side. That was Ed China and Andy J. A lovely conversation. And uh, yeah, as, as I mentioned before we dived into that interview, the Outspan Orange is the car, the, the spherical car. Uh, if you've not had an opportunity to Google it, um, do that now. Just have a little Google search. Um, Outspan Orange is what you're searching for. And you will see that it is a car in the shape of a ball and you can understand why Andy was told and believed for so many years that if you just rolled down a hill or, or hit the brakes whilst going down a hill, the car would, would roll. So. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I can't tell you how much I don't want to be involved in that experiment. <laughs> can you imagine what it would be like? You know, like as a kid, you think, you know what, I can roll down this hill. And then halfway down the hill, you're like, this was a mistake. This was a mistake. <laughs> I think at the point that the car is reaching the top of the hill, is that's where, that's where we would all realise this is a big mistake. Because I, you know, the, the Outspan Orange was built in the 1970s. And I, I can only assume that it's not made of nanocarbon, carbon fibre with, you know, structural steel and aluminium chassis i'm gonna guess that thing will break very easily um yeah no not not for me thanks <laughs> well what's funny is that i don't even know which way is meant to be the front i'm looking at a picture of it now <laughs> i don't know which way and it's a panning picture and i think it's auto car i'm on and i'm trying to figure out if that car is going left or right yeah <laughs> there's no front or back to it it's difficult to tell <laughs> it is difficult to tell. so just in case anyone that's listening hasn't got an idea of what an outspan orange car is uh, or doesn't have access to a Google, maybe you're, maybe you're driving or something. Um, it's basically just imagine a massive ball, but it has a windscreen at the front and at the back, and it's a it's a van. It's basically a little Bedford Rascal van that's been converted into this bizarre round shape, and it must be made of glass fibre and various other materials that are probably now illegal to manufacture things out of because it's from the 1970s, asbestos and all sorts of other scary things. <laughs> but yeah, that's a challenge. That's a gauntlet that Andy has thrown down. Um, as I say, I just, just want to make it very clear, put it on the record now, I want nothing to do with that <laughs> at all. I'm just imagining phoning up our health and safety guys and going, yeah, right, so uh, yeah, here's what we're hoping to do. Yeah, yeah. No? Oh, we can't. Okay, fine. <laughs> Well, after that, shall we move on to some listeners' emails? We can do. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Candid, well, I was going to ask about your, your recent escapades because last yes. weekend, so the weekend before the weekend that has just passed, 
uh, you were on the uh, Distinguished Gentleman's Ride. That I was. Yeah. That was wonderful. It was so nice to be back riding with a load of other people. So mm. I went up and did the, the Leicester one. Um, and that's your hometown, That is it? my hometown, yes. And what was funny is that I ended up running into people that I've met through bikes literally all over the world at Leicester. Leicester. And I was like, how, how, how funny. So yeah, I ran into somebody that the last time I saw them was in, we were in India at um, a Royal Enfield thing. And so I was like, <laughs> oh, hey, it's you. And so wow. that was quite funny. Another, another girl I ran into was, um, the last time I saw her was on the Great Mali Rally, uh, which I'm going to do again this summer. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, last time I saw her was somewhere Scotland. Um, so yeah, it was very strange that we all just oh, happened bizarre. to come here but it was um it was lovely because then we all went we started off at Mallory Park which was my home yeah. circuit so as a child we could hear the bike racing going around on Sundays very uh, which cool. was very lovely and then um yeah we went off to Triumph Factory and cool. had a little a little wander around there and then yeah just went off for a nice little lunch afterwards so there's about I don't know 80 of us there's quite a lot of us it was lovely cool. lovely afternoon or morning and I think overall the the charity's now raised over three million US dollars, and that is well, for this year for, wow. for this. This is incredible. So, um, and this is all for like um, for, mental health and well-being charities. Isn't yeah, it? for men. For, so it's purely for men's mental health and mm. yeah, well-being. And so it, st it started off to raise money for a prostate cancer um, charity, right, and yeah. then they extended it to um, men's mental health and suicide. And so that was yeah, all very good things. Love so it. it was really lovely to be able to ride with a bunch of other people. And I was on a Triumph Bobber, which was yes, a you were lovely, lovely ride. Mm. It was a bit funny because when it got dropped off, it was then horrendous weather for about the three days leading up yeah. to the DGR. So I didn't go and practice any riding at all. I didn't think, <laughs> you know, I'll just go and see how it is. So the first time I had a go at riding it was literally going from my home in, in Warwickshire to uh, to Leicestershire to go and ride. Excellent. Um, but no, super easy. Like beautiful weight and just going around like roundabouts you think yeah, yeah. you think you're flying because you're like yeah i feel really low am they i going to scrape the pegs really cool like really really cool looking bike um yes because we first saw one didn't we back in the summer when maria costello came along to record a podcast with us. she had one mm -hmm. that was the first time i'd ever seen one yes and yeah it looked great and you brought it along to cafe the machine last week and i had a little ogle at it and had to sit on it and mm -hmm. just yeah lovely lovely looking thing it is and it sounds great it does sound great. The only thing is, if you want to do a bit more like long distance stuff, it's mm. probably not the best bike because for a start, it's a single seat, so you haven't got anywhere yes. to put your luggage. And after probably two or three hours of riding, I did start to feel the seat kind of on my leg a little bit, but okay. you wouldn't really want to do more than you're, that anyway. You're quite exposed to wind as well, aren't yeah, you? It's very... Well, I ride classic bikes and no windscreens or anything like that. So very true. <laughs> it's, you are you are the wind sail. You are the <laughs> you're the windbreak. That's yeah. yeah. And, I mean, if I rode motorcycles all the time, I think my neck would be would be massive from <laughs> just holding myself up. Um, but no, that was that was lovely. So awesome. uh, yeah, you should have joined us, John. Thanks I know, and it, it's silly, isn't it? Because we did that podcast episode with Mark Hower. When was that? A good couple of months ago now. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, th I think even there in the episode, I said, oh, yes, I'm definitely going to do it. And of course, I didn't. Life got in the way. Um, <laughs> but uh, 2022 is going to be my year for the Distinguished Gentleman's Ride. I'm saying it now, putting it on the record. Yeah, I I'd love to do it. It looks fantastic. Um, yeah, for years, ever since you know being a, a teenager, I remember seeing the, the ride going through the area of London that I grew up and I always thought it looked so cool. So, uh, yeah, I am going to do it next year. That will be my year. So, yeah, that's what I've been up to. What have you been up to? Anything fun? Yes, I have. I've, and I very nearly didn't because it's been quite a busy week the past week. Um, but I, on Thursday, went to see your old friend Cameron Jackson again. Of 
somebody else we've recorded yes. a podcast with in the past, uh, Cameron from Faster Faster Racing. Now, Cameron brilliantly put you through his little racing mm-hmm. taster school, um, got your license sorted, and then, of course, put you through your first race at Silverstone in that glorious old Jag, yep, the, the XJS. XJS. Yes, Dr. Robert. Dr. Robert, <laughs> indeed. And that is the name of the car. Um, and uh, yeah, Cam sent me a, a message a week or so ago saying, look, I'm, I'm putting together this little day at Bista where we're going to use their little circuit. And I, I can't emphasize enough how little the circuit is. It's a, it's a small little test circuit that they have at Bista uh, here in the, in the Midlands of the UK. And um, he said, we're going to bring along a few cars. If you want to just come along and have a play, do. So of course I did. And it was brilliant. So yeah, I spent an entire day, and as you might have seen, if you follow us on Instagram, at Driven Chat, you, you may have seen the Instagram stories from the day. It was the first time we had a day of sunshine, I think in about, <laughs> I'm not exaggerating, I think in about two months. Yes. A solid day of sunshine. And it was only about 20 degrees. It wasn't particularly hot, but it felt like we were in Barbados for a day. It was bizarre. <laughs> So it was very great to have a, a bright, sunny day. What other cars did you have on the track there? So we had the beautiful XJS, which I was, I, in my head, I was thinking that this is going to be like a boat. But my God, that thing was brilliant. It's wicked, isn't it? It turns into corners. It, it defies physics, mm-hmm. how that car works. But yeah, we had the XJS, which was great. We had a Fiesta XR2, uh, Mark One. So that's, you know, that's quite a cool car now. Um, we also had an MR2, that was a Mark One as well, so the mid-engine rear-wheel drive little thing. Yeah, yeah. We also had a Lola, uh, which was a Ford-engined, a, like a Formula Ford thing from the 1980s. And then we had a couple of other cars that turned up just to kind of display. Um, but aside from driving those amazing cars on the amazing circuit, we were also surrounded by amazing people. So again, it sounds like a, it was like a, I, I keep thinking back to that uh, final episode of Lost, and this is either going to mean something to everybody or not at all, where all the people from the, the storyline were assembled in this weird kind of church building, except we weren't in a church, we were outside an aircraft hangar. Because, of course, we had Cam from the previous <laughs> podcast, we had Merlin from previous podcasts, we had George from previous podcasts, various people from the automotive world that were around us. Uh, it did feel a bit like we were in some sort of limbo stage. But, uh, no, it was nice because we had yeah, Merlin, Georgia... Uh, myself, we had uh, Nat Twist, who's quite a well-known photographer. We had... Um, Did you have Heddy from The Mechanist? Heddy from The Mechanist. We had all sorts of fabulously wonderful people, all from the car world, um, all having a go at driving these racing cars. And I think that it was a kind of a, a familiaration day for anyone that's not used to driving in bucket seats and with roll cages and harnesses, because that is a whole new experience to driving it's a whole new dimension that a lot mm-hmm. of people never even consider it's quite scary when you get into a car with a roll cage for the first time it is suddenly you're like how on earth sometimes the cars are difficult to get into because of roll cage in, yep. in your way and then you're getting strapped into seatbelts you're not used to so yeah, yeah. having a day with yeah with camp for faster faster to be able to kind of be like hey this isn't as scary let me let me show you the way exactly <laughs> and that's exact. that was the, the entire purpose behind the day was so that yeah give people that opportunity because of course for a lot of people their entry into racing they might do their arts license or you know, a bit of track day driving in their own car. You can do that. You don't necessarily need a racing car to get your racing license. Um, so for a lot of people, the first time you get into that car is gonna be on your first test day or a shakedown day, or for some people in, in, a, in a very bizarre scenario, it might be their first ever race. They get straight into a car. So suddenly driving with crash helmets on and race suits on and race boots on and yeah, being surrounded by cages and harnesses and buttons and levers that make fire extinguishers explode in your face, you know, that can all be quite daunting. So yeah, Cam has set up these days to familiarize people with that setting and it was just brilliant it was absolutely brilliant you know I'm, I'm quite lucky I've been able to drive a lot of very very cool cars over the years racing cars and classic cars and all sorts of things but for, for others it was a completely new experience and it was just lovely to be able to see people in a very safe and controlled environment 
be able to enjoy these cars without feeling like they have to perform and they have to be as fast as everyone else. It was just a, it was a really, really good idea. So I'm urging anyone that's thinking, I really like the idea of that. You know, I want to get into motorsport and I'm aware this is a bit of a UK thing again, because um, we're in the UK and I know we have tens of thousands of listeners outside of the UK, so sorry. But <laughs> Cam in the UK here, if you look up Faster Faster Racing on Instagram, if you can't find it, have a look at our feed and then you'll, you'll see from a few days ago um, our, our kind of tagging in with, with Cameron Faster Faster Racing. Um, and it's worth reaching out. If you think this is something you want to have a go at and you, if it's something you've always aspired to do, uh, it's worth just pinging him a message and saying, this looks cool. Can I do it, please? Because, um, yeah, if, there's, if, if that is a, a route you want to go down, it's a fabulous hobby. It's not as scary as people think. It sounds crazy to say, it, but it's not as expensive as a lot of people seem to think as well. Uh, don't get me wrong. It's not cheap. It's not as cheap as playing golf. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe it is, actually, because oh, some word. golf bats are very expensive, aren't they? Ridiculous. Just yeah. this, some of the courses. Ugh, eye-wateringly. Yeah. I don't understand it. No. no. I'd much not, rather have a racing car. Not enough engines. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a great way to do it. And Cam is just brilliant because he, he is this fountain of knowledge. If, you, if you've got questions or things you want to know or uh, all those things that perhaps you're too scared to try and get the answers off of a forum or ask somebody in a pit lane somewhere, you can just send him a message and he goes, oh no, it works like this. It's, mm -hmm. it's so, it so yeah, that was awesome. So yeah, big thanks to Camp for, uh, for his hospitality there and lovely to see Merlin Georgia and various other people. But hey, we promised you listeners letters and yes. we have got in our hands each a couple of sheets of paper as you can hear. <laughs> <laughs> so um, uh, do you want to start, Amy? Do yeah, you, yeah, I can start for What sure. have you got? Who have um, you got? It's just quite a short one, but it's very lovely. So I wanted to, to read it out. So this is from Harry Ambler. He says, hello, listener since episode one. Thank you very much, Harry, already. Thanks, Harry. That's it. No, that's not the end. <laughs> <laughs> I said it was short. Um, my parents have one of, the, one of the worst car I should have sold stories I've ever heard. Ah, so this is harping back to... Cars I shouldn't have sold, should yeah, I say. So this is the Tom Wood episode, isn't it? Car yes. Collecting, not collecting cars, gosh, gosh, we've interviewed a lot of people. Tom. This is Tom Wood from carandclassic.co.uk yes. where we invited people, you know, have you made any of those big losses or big wins? So this is a loss. Yeah, so dear. car that they shouldn't have sold. He says, uh, my father ran a Lotus repair, sh repair shop here in the States and in the 80s they had an orange BMW 507 which Ooh. they sold for next to nothing as the cars were not super reliable at the time and they didn't have a lot of interest in a German car, uh, in a German car as British car enthusiasts. Oh dear. Obviously, 507s are very desirable now yes. and we often like to remind my parents what a big mistake they made selling it. <laughs> Now, I assume he's not Harry. put a figure on there of how much they <laughs> actually sold not. it for. No, he has no. not. And maybe that might have been a little bit too too harsh. I'd be like, hey, mum and dad, you know that, that car you sold? Boom. Well, <laughs> I know for worth. a fact that Sotheby's sold one in the US not that long ago. I think maybe even last year. Um, and um, sorry, Harry, but I, I'm aware that 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 did sell for, I think, $1.7 million. <laughs> dollars. Uh, so, yeah, Sorry, Harry. Um, these things happen, you know. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we can try and take some guesses about what the future would be of, of cars. But, I mean, I think we've done this a number of times and go round and round and nobody, <laughs> nobody knows. It's and... a really difficult one to predict. But, yeah, I, I think we're entering a really interesting transition time, aren't we? Whilst we're heading towards electrification, there's going to be a lot of manufacturers, I believe, that between now and 2040... 2030, sorry, it's changed, isn't it? It's 2030 now that we are in the UK alone. We will not be able to go into a showroom and buy a car that is solely powered by an internal combustion engine. 
We will, it will have to be either a hybrid at the very least or fully electric. And that seems kind of scary and daunting because it's not that far away. But that is very much on the horizon here. I know that other countries around the world have got similar schemes in place where they're likely to be doing something very, very similar. But I think a lot of manufacturers between now and then are going to be producing cars that are seriously cool. Like we know, for, for example, perfect example of this is Lotus. Lotus here in mm -hmm. the UK are just about to launch their new car called the Amira. And that's a blend of the Evora, the Elise and the Exige. All of those cars are coming to an end and they're producing what they are, they are titling as our last internal combustion engine car. So for them, this is like, this is it, last hurrah, last time to fuel a car with petrol. And I'm sure many other manufacturers are gonna be doing that. So there will be some cars that you'll be able to buy in the next few years, which I think will be dead set, guaranteed money makers over the years, mm -hmm. because there'll be manual gearboxes, which are all disappearing. Because of course, it's very, very difficult to pair a manual gearbox with electric motor. It just doesn't really work. Some people have done it, but it's, it's, it's difficult and clunky. So it's easy just to have a go pedal and a stop pedal. There'll be manual cars with amazing engines, which might not be the best things for the environment from the perspective of running. But um, you know, these cars, when that date comes along, when we have to buy electric cars and hybrids, nobody's going to come and take these cars away. They will still exist. So uh, now is the time to buy them. And I think you know, perhaps in 50 or 60 years from now, the cars that are in the production line right now at this minute in 2021 are going to be the ones that are really sought after. And it is going to be, you know, the, the luxurious brands like Lotus and Aston and yeah, we're, we're talking about that, that sort of level, but it's going to be fascinating. But yeah, as, as for what's going to make money, don't know. Um, if you've got anything kind of relatively sporty and fun and manual gearbox derived from the 1990s and 1980s, mm -hmm. I think that's pretty much a dead set. If it's, if it's remotely limited numbers uh, and a remotely sporty engine, you're probably going to do okay. Yeah, hold yeah. on to it. Hold on to it. Don't... Don't, uh, don't sell it in a rush. If you've got the space to hide it somewhere dry, um, do that because, um, yeah, which is, which is what I'm doing with a couple of things. So yes, um, but yeah, sorry about not, not being a multi-millionaire, Harry. Yeah, um, sorry, Harry. These things happen. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's interesting. I have got an email that, it's, it's quite a long one that if we're talking about, you know, the idea of electric things, mm. um, but I'm going to hold on to that because I think that'll be a good discussion point. So have you got an email? No, I, I like that one. Do you, I think we should do it. One? Let's okay. do it because I, I, I'll be honest, I know which one you're going to read and I glanced over it because... Um, the, the lovely sender included a photo of his caravan. <laughs> so I just assumed it was going to be a, an email about caravans. And I thought, there's no bloody way to do an episode about caravans. But Amy, Amy, who is far kinder than me, has actually taken the time to read the email in full. And it, it has actually got some quite good points. So go for it. Well, it is from an internet buddy of mine called Stevie. Hey. And basically, it, it's, it's very, very well written and lots of good numbers. And sh I don't know, should I read the whole thing out or should I just I think paraphrase? let's get to, get to the point with the... Okay. The risk or the fear of what electrification may mean for people with caravans and trailers. So, basically, Stevie goes miles, miles and miles with his Volvo and his caravan on the back of it. Mm -hmm. And basically, over one of his road trips that he was going to be doing if COVID had not have happened was a fabulous sounding European road trip that would have totaled in 2,300 towing miles. And his argument basically is even with the, 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 the electric vehicles that now are, that are out already and their towing capacity and their range basically means that the idea of having to tow a, either a caravan or, you know, in John, your, your point of view would be a race car or something yeah. like that um, <laughs> means it's probably not actually possible with an electric vehicle because the capacity to do things like 
okay, so for example, he says here, my, my Volvo caravan combo is an eye-watering 44 foot long. The That's only option mm. with chopping up electric is to unhitch, park up the caravan somewhere, highly unadvisable due to the massive levels of theft, mm. drive to the nearest charge point from where you've abandoned your pride and joy and then hitch up again after each charge, adding on the hour or so to complete the process 23 times if, if you're doing, you know, 2,300 tow miles uh, for one summer adventure simply isn't viable. And I do mm. completely agree. When it comes to the kind of, you know, more heavy duty stuff. Yeah. We're not just thinking about people going to work every day when we've got that deadline of 2030, for example, of no, you're saying with that true. It's cars. True. It's a very good point, actually, because, yeah, uh, you know, I, I, I've made it fairly clear, I think, in the past that I'm not an avid caravanist. I don't aspire <laughs> to be a caravanist either, but there is a requirement within my area of hobbies and interests to tow things. So often, yeah, we'd be like track day cars or motorcycles or something, you know, something involving some sort of trailer. And yeah, the whole electric car debate thing, I don't know if this is something that has really been that discussed because yeah, as Steve, Stevie has said perfectly in his email, there, how, how does it work? I guess mm -hmm. the response for now would be, again, like I mentioned before, come 2030 when here in the UK that new rule sticks in, nobody's coming away to take away all those older cars that mm. we have. So um, I guess the, the, the answer to it is that there are just going to be a lot of tow cars um, things like that Volvo, you know, fantastic tow car, yeah, which are going to be internal combustion engines. Uh, Volvo, in fact, are one of the one of the manufacturers who, ironically, are the most keen to switch from um, all internal combustion engines. In fact, I think they're turning he, off their production line. He might have even mentioned. He even email. said, "Yeah, Volvo have taken a further step, pledging to be fully electric only within within the twenty thirty timeline, uh, withdrawing even the hybrid model yeah. models." Yeah, so that that makes that worldwide. So anyone that's a real you know, Volvo fan, which I completely understand, because Volvos are brilliant. Um, yeah, you are going to be subjected to just electric cars. So that might mean that if you are somebody that buys a car, let's say, for example, on, on PCP or on finance, and you want a new car every three years, uh, there is going to come a point where you might have to go away from Volvo, if, mm -hmm. if Volvo is your choice of car that you want as a tow vehicle. So it is going to be interesting. Um, but like I say, I, I think that chapter, it's a bit like the electrification of freight, um, you know, lorries on the road. We know that Tesla are making that incredible looking uh, lorry tractor thing you know to, to is it called have... like the, the the hyper truck or i can't something. remember what it's called yeah they've got the cyber truck coming That's out it. which looks amazing and i absolutely definitely I want one of, those. one of those on the road <laughs> but they are also doing an actual fully fully fledged lorry which is going to be um so they say on the road in the next uh, i think in the next five or ten years which is amazing and um, and that you know that hopefully is the answer again we said this before i think the time the, the time between now and 2030 it seems like it's not very long but battery technology and charging ports and the infrastructure is growing so fast we are going to get to the point where suddenly it goes from being a really daunting terrifying range anxiety inducing world to one that is operational so to stevie yeah i guess we say um you know keep hold of that volvo if you can for a bit yeah. longer because that you know we all know volvos are fantastic and they're not going to die anytime soon that's going to that's going to go for on, on and on and on and if it gets to that point where you do need a new car within that time it, it might mean that you have to go to another alternative manufacturer unless volvo are in the midst of making a super long range tow vehicle yeah because he says at the minute that they probably the range is about 100 miles that's not very much. Not enough. It's not enough to tow. Uh, that, that's not enough to tow a sausage. Yeah, there's just, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But this is it. This is the interesting time, isn't it? We're at that point where we are just 
Yeah. Um, towing sausages. We're, we're towing sausages, <laughs> for, not for want or need, but for the science. <laughs> it's taken a turn. Right. Yeah, it's moving on. <laughs> So I've got so I've got another really lovely. I, I can't tell you how much it means when I refresh our email feed and I see one with, you know, emails with paragraphs and paragraphs of beautifully written emails. We've got one that came in a week or so ago uh, from uh, Dominic. Dominic, I'm going to guess your pronunciation, Dominic, and your surname. It's either Sico or Sicho. Sicho, C-I-C-C-I-O. Um, Dominic has emailed us from Sydney, Australia, and this again is amazing because of course it becomes very easy and this is why I try to say it as often as I can when we're doing these recordings. I often quote the fact that we're here in the UK and this might only be subjective to UK listeners, but we have got tens of thousands of listeners in every corner of the world, which is just amazing. I love it. I love seeing interaction and emails and things coming in from our listeners around the world. So thank you everyone. It is brilliant. But yeah, Dominic has emailed us from Sydney. Um, he said some really, really lovely things. Obviously, I'm not going to read the, the full email word for word, um, but he said some really, really lovely things about listening to every single episode. Um, he's, uh, yeah, he said some very, very kind things. Dominic is a photographer, and a bit like we had, uh, we had Harrison a few weeks back uh, when Andy and I were doing the listeners' letters number one. Um, we had Harrison email from New Zealand. He was asking similar questions to what Dominic wants to know, which is, how do I get into the industry as a photographer? How do I you know, network and build up my business and my portfolio and, and do what I do. And I guess, yeah, it's a difficult one to answer in a nutshell, isn't it? But yeah. a bit like we said to Harrison a few weeks back, the, in my opinion, you know, I, I often remind myself and others that I have absolutely no qualifications to be doing what I'm doing right now. You know, I do not have a single photography qualification. There you go, there you go. <laughs> and this is the thing, and so I'm gonna hark back to another podcast name that we've had in the past, a very, very dear friend of mine, one of my best friends in the world, Al Clark. Um, he, we did a podcast episode with Al uh, back in the, October, November time. Go back and have a listen to that as well, because Al Clark is now one of the most famous filmmakers in the car world. So yeah. if you've ever seen a Bugatti film or a Bentley film or a Jaguar film or a Land Rover film, chances are Al was behind that. But he's also worked for all sorts of other manufacturers. There's a Bugatti film that's out right now where a Bugatti is racing a fighter jet down a runway. That's Al Clark. You I've know, seen that. That the sounds world, amazing. The world record tracking car film, that was Al Clark between two Bugattis. Um, again, Al has got no... He didn't go to university to study filmmaking. He's just figured it out in the same way that you've just figured out photography, Amy, and I've figured out whatever it is I do. <laughs> um, but ultimately, the, the advice, I think, and, and the, what I take away from people like, um, from Al and from you, Amy, is that providing you're an interesting person and you're interested in the industry, you can't really go wrong. Mm -hmm. you know, there, there, is a, there is a there's a necessity to have some natural talent and some natural ability. And you know, as a photographer or a filmmaker, you need to have the eye. You need to be able to see what it is you want to, want to do. But if you're putting out content and you've got people around you that are going, do you know what, that's actually pretty good, yeah. then listen to those people because <laughs> chances are people don't, you know, everyone's a critic all the time. And you will have people that will criticise work, I'm sure. But ultimately, if you've got two or three people that think your work is brilliant, then chances are there's 150 other people that also think your work is brilliant. So just keep pushing at it, I think, is my, is my advice. Network and network and network. And of mm -hmm. course, like anything we do in the world, if you want to get better at drawing pictures of trees, then keep drawing pictures of trees. And the more you draw, the better you'll get. It's the same way with pointing and shooting with a camera, uh, be that stills or through film, or if you're in event production like me, or if you're a writer, all these different, 
areas, it's practice and practice and practice, isn't it? Would you agree with that? Completely. I mean, when it comes to anything creative, it's something that innately we think, I enjoy this and I think I've got some skill in this. Mm. But as you said, unless you just basically keep going at it and, and really trying your hardest just to but just to improve yourself just because you want to, not because you want to get a job in the industry or whatever. Just purely, if you go into it first because you're passionate about what you're doing, mm. that is the thing that will get you further and, in, and into the industry and into the jobs that you want. Because like when I first became a photographer, I, I mean, I didn't even think it'd be realistically possible to be a photographer. So I didn't mm. really try, like in, yeah. in terms of trying to get work or anything. I just took opportunities that came my way purely because I enjoyed it. Mm. And so I think the, the main thing is because the amount, if somebody said to you, John, at the beginning of your career, you're going to have to spend 10,000 hours <laughs> talking about cars, writing about cars and you know, driving cars over the next you know, however many years before you're able to get a job on it. You wouldn't think, oh, that sounds like a bit of an effort, but I kind of would like the job. You'd be like, that sounds amazing. I yeah. want to do that. Yeah. Whereas if that process sounds daunting or you don't really want to do it or you think mm. you've got other things that you'd rather spend your time on, then that's probably not the best career path for you. But no. if it is purely your passion, then somewhere along the line you end up finding ways to make money from it if that's the industry you want to be in or have it as a great hobby either way it's not a problem absolutely spot on and we've said this time and time and time again and i will say it again and again and again on other podcasts i'm sure in the future the automotive industry is a passion-led mm. industry every single person that works in it from the point of being an intern for a magazine through to the ceo of a car manufacturer the reason that that individual is sitting at the desk that they're sat at is because they have an interest in cars. They have a passion about cars or motorcycles or you know, whatever it may be. It, and that in itself, that is the, the, the sooner you realize that and the sooner you work out that no matter what position, anyone that you either aspire to be or meet or work with at any point in the automotive world, as soon as you, the sooner you realize that that person is there because just like you, they love cars, mm -hmm. the better. Because it also means that you're able to strike up a conversation. We know what it's like. We've all attended a car meet or a car show or, you know, whatever it may be. It could be parking your car in a supermarket car park and you see somebody else who's also got something a bit cool and quirky. You kind of get that little smile, that nod of, ah, you know, I get it in traffic. Sometimes I sit in traffic in the MQP and there'll be somebody in like an old M3 or even an old AMG Merc or something. And you kind of get that look and you go, yeah, you're a car person. Mm -hmm. I'm a car person. And it's brilliant. And it's the same in the working world as well. So you know enjoy it keep enjoying it the 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 less you think of it as a job and as work the easier it gets i believe massively and um yeah you know it's it, we are so lucky that this is our area of interest you know every single person i'd like to think listening to this podcast right now is doing so because they have an interest in automotive they have an interest in cars they have an interest in motorcycles they have an interest in electrification whatever it may be I mean, unless you're really strange, you just like listening to our voices and you hate cars. There's definitely some people like that that like your voice, John. I doubt it. I doubt it. No, I, I, not, I refuse to believe that that's even a possibility. Um, but yeah, that, that's, that's the general advice, really, is just keep doing what you're doing and enjoy it. That is, the minute it stops being fun, stop doing it. Yeah. Life is painfully short and we have very little control over how long we're here for or how long it lasts. So the more time we can spend reflecting at the end of a day or the end of a week or the end of a month going oh that was actually quite good wasn't it mm -hmm. it really was so um yeah keep doing that it took me a hell of a long time to get to a point where i started earning decent money doing what i'm doing but i didn't want to leave the industry because i love it so much you know i could have gone on and been an estate agent or you know worked for a supermarket or you know gone through some sort of laborious middle management job somewhere i, I could ease very easily could have done that um but i decided to pursue 
what I love because it was interesting. And um, I, I urge anyone out there that gets to that point where they think, oh, I, I don't know if I can do this as a career. I mean, just to, again, give you a little glimpse, for years and years and years, I worked in call centres whilst I was trying my best to get to the point of organising track days and organising car control days and organising some, sort of, some sort of stuff. You know, I, there had to be times where I had to work as a temp in an office to pay the bills. Mm -hmm. But I knew, I knew that at the back of my mind, all I wanted to do was keep pushing on with the car stuff. And the day that you think, oh, do you know what, I don't think it's gonna work out. That's, that's the day where it starts going wrong. So just keep that uh, enthusiasm going. I promise you, you will get there. Mm -hmm. You really will. And I hope there may be two or three, four people listening to this that go, yeah, fair enough. I'll carry on. Yeah, I think the hardest bit is also if you're if you're like I, I don't make you dream. I was very lucky that I was a poor graduate and then became a poor photographer. So my life <laughs> didn't change too much. I was still living with my parents. That so that was an easy transition for mm. me. I mean, I, I started off my my photography career as a. I was also a. a I was a book designer at the, at the beginning of my career as well, so I was that. doing graphic design and then um, wedding photographer, of course, yeah. and then the cars were kind of like here and there. Mm. Um, so it took me about two years of working to both cars and weddings and designing mm. before I thought, I am now, my, my brain's going to explode. I, I have not got any more time. I need yeah. to stop something. And that's when I decided to stop the weddings. If you're in a like full-time job and you think, I really want to be a, a writer or a photographer or whatever, so many people contact me saying, you know, how, how do I make that leap? Mm. And I suppose my, you know, my, my advice for that and would be literally to do it because you love it first as, as, mm -hmm. as your hobby. And then if you can do things like, you know, step back one day a week, perhaps for, from your, your main job and just try to seesaw that into, it's into a balance where you can do half your, your job to make ends meet and to pay bills like John. Uh, and then also to do your passion and the thing you really want to do. Mm. That is the, just try and do it solely. It's the, the yeah. jumping off a cliff is a, a really scary thing to do. So maybe. It is. <laughs> just... it is. Yeah, it is. And there may come a time where you need to do a bit of a leap of faith. But again, you know, if it feels right, if you feel like this is something that is worth doing and the risk is worth taking, you've got enough of a safety net in one shape or another to just give something a go and if it, hey, if it doesn't work out, then you go back to the day job for a bit and mm -hmm. then you know, trickle away at something else and, and meet those people, make those friends. Um, don't, be a, don't be afraid of a bit of a leap of faith because I did a couple of leaps of faith over the years. Um, not all of them worked out, but when they did work out, they really worked out. So yeah. Um, yeah, go with it. Anyway, I think we should probably start wrapping up because that's, a, that's some, some good... Some good chit chat there. It's been it's been a nice a nice change of structure this week. I hope I've people enjoyed have enjoyed this. it. I hope you, the listener, have enjoyed it. Yeah, do let us know if you have or have not enjoyed it. If you're like, no, that was really rubbish. Go back into the old way. <laughs> do let us know. <laughs> yeah, I mean... do. We like feedback. In fact, I'm gonna. I, I laughed because uh, going back to Dominic's email, um, his he he ends his email saying, "If you've read this far, thanks for reading. Keep up the great work." And then he's put hashtag I'm still listening. Hashtag Laguna Seca Blue M3. Hashtag Fat Harley. Hashtag Hi John, I'm listening. Hashtag Motivated. All of those, uh, I think we have said at some point. Um, I think in like episode one or two back in what feels like a million years ago. A long ago, time ago almost, now. Almost a year ago, we. Um, we, we did say things like, you know, tell us you're listening by putting in hashtag Laguna Seca Blue M3 and Fat Harley. I think that was one of Andy's suggestions. <laughs> um, so let's throw out another one. I'm going to put you on the spot, Amy. Oh, um, think of a hashtag because uh, it's always fascinating to see um, what we're going to do is say, uh, uh, go to our last, the last post that you can see that we've put on Instagram. We'll, we'll focus on Instagram because that is where, by far where we're the most popular. Um, find us on Instagram, find our last post. It doesn't matter when you're listening to this. So even if you're listening to this in 2047, <laughs> I would like you to find our last post 
and just write at the uh, right, right in the comment section. You're going to write hashtag leap of faith. I'm going to go with leap of faith. You I know, like it's that. a little bit softer, but it's not. Yeah, I'm. I, I reckon that's because that's what people sometimes need to to hear. If people that's are looking it. for a sign, sometimes thinking, you know, I just need a bit of a sign, or maybe it should be like hashtag this is a sign you've been looking for or something. But no, I, I like it. Leap, leap of faith. faith. I yeah. Do you know what? I love it. I, I promise you, we've not planned that. Nope. There's no pre... In the same... I mean, I stopped writing scripts for these, I think, after episode three. I don't, there was a script at all? Well, I say script. <laughs> it was, a, it was a, a collection of notes written down on pieces of paper. Yeah, no, we, we very much uh, wing a lot of this. Yeah. Um, and, and hey, there's another bit of life advice for you. Don't be afraid to wing it from time to time. Exactly, I've yeah. been winging it for ages. There's a brilliant meme that I've saved in my camera roll, which is just, it, it's a quote that says, I'm going to wing it. And then underneath there's a little line that says, me, about something I definitely shouldn't wing. <laughs> but it's great. So yeah, don't be afraid to wing it. Don't be afraid to have a go. Um, yes, tell us you're listening by finding our latest post on Instagram and putting hashtag leap of faith. And uh, we will very much look forward to seeing it's quite a fluffy all of hashtag. No, isn't I like it? it. I like it. I like it. I think it works. I really do. I really okay. do. Um, thank you so much for listening. You, of course, you can find us all on Instagram as well. You can find Andy J, Andy.J on Instagram, Amy Shaw Photography on Instagram, John Markar on Instagram, Driven Chat, of course, is the main hub on Instagram. Um, feel free to come along, say hello. We love hearing from you. We read, I promise you, every single comment, every single email, every single direct message that we receive. Every single one of them gets seen by one of our eyes, mostly mine. So, <laughs> so feel free to keep those emails, those direct messages, those comments incoming. If you like uh, Dominic and Stevie and a few others, if you would like to get your emails read out, uh, keep them coming because we will do Listener's Letters 3. Uh, this has been Listener's Letters 2. Um, so yeah, podcast at drivenchat.com is the email address if you just want to send us uh, words of appreciation, advice, uh, feedback, be that positive or negative. Uh, stories that you would like us to tell or questions that you would like us to answer. We would love to see them all. So that email address one last time is podcast at drivenchat.com. It goes straight to my phone. So feel free to blow it up with as much <laughs> nonsense as you want. And the last thing I'll say is a huge, huge thank you because I've said this two or three times before in previous episodes. We can see the numbers growing on this listenership. You know, we have... Uh, the means to track absolutely everything when it comes to podcasts. So we can see how many people are listening via Apple and how many people are listening via Spotify and Google and Amazon, wherever you're listening to your podcast. We, we put the episodes out on YouTube as well. Got a few comments last week on, the, on YouTube, which were quite nice to read because it was somebody saying, why don't these episodes get more listen numbers? Well, we put the episodes on YouTube, just the audio files, but it is just that. And because we're a fairly new YouTube channel, of course, we only have a couple of hundred listeners per podcast that, that go out. But I can assure you, we do have tens and tens and tens and tens of thousands of listeners now that listen via Apple Podcasts and Spotify and, and all the other major podcast platforms. And it means so much to us. So if you are one of those people that wants to show your support, um, a, a simple click like um, clicking follow on Spotify and Apple or subscribe or whichever, whichever way around it is, it makes a huge, huge difference to us. It tells the podcast algorithms that you're enjoying it. If you are listening on Apple, because Apple is the only place where you're able to leave a review uh, and you want to do so, again, that helps us massively. A quick five-star review and some nice words uh, about how much you like 
Amy's voice <laughs> is brilliant. You know, we, we, it will do us a massive favour. So a huge, huge thank you to everybody that's been listening to us. Gosh, it sounds like we're like rounding up to the end of a season. We're not at all. <laughs> we're, do, we're coming back next week with more of the same thing. It, it also sounds like your like Oscar like exception <laughs> speech. <laughs> thank you so much to, to like everybody to thank listening. And... Biscuit the Rabbit for <laughs> believing in me from day one. Uh, yeah, no, it, it is great and we love it. And uh, the more people that can hear us and, and know about our podcast, you know, the bigger and better we will get. So um, do, if you've got some friends that you think, oh, I know Dan and Steve and Mike and Janet would love this <laughs> podcast, then send it on to Janet and the rest of the team. Um, yeah, the more the, the more the merrier. So uh, yes, I guess we should probably say goodbye. Yeah, thank you very much for listening. Really appreciate everything that you, you guys do to, to you know, follow us. And, and yeah, let us know that you're listening. And I look forward to chatting with you, John, next week. And, next week. Uh, getting more of your emails. More of the same next week. See you later. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com.